Hey, welcome back to our story and thanks once again for following along. I've only got a couple more episodes in this part of the adventure, but we wanted to take a moment to warn you that things will get a wee bit heavy before they get better. Over the next two episodes, we discuss experiences of intense mental health distress, which touch on the topics of self-harm, suicide, and even abuse. If these are sensitive touch points for you, we recommend caution as you go into it. But as always, find someone you can trust to talk about it. However, it's not all doom and gloom, so please enjoy the journey and experience the lows and the highs along with us as we navigate this next chapter. And as always, stay classy. Hello and welcome back to This Is Our Story. Kia ora, Briar. Welcome back to you to join me. <laughs> we are live, well, I am live from a hotel room in Wellington <laughs> and uh, back to kind of normal programming in terms of calling each other on Skype. <laughs> it was nice while it lasted, you know, being able to sit in the same room, but alas, these things do not last. <laughs> and I had to quickly like duck out of the house before you, you know, decided to pop that little one out on the lounge. <laughs> <laughs> Only a, so much as a sneeze holding him in right now. <laughs> there are some things that brothers are not supposed to witness. And I think there's probably one. <laughs> okay, we've, we've got a lot to cover today in this particular episode. Uh, we've, only, we've only planned for two more. So we've got to kind of keep moving through so we, we don't hold you captive for longer than you want to be. <laughs> anyway, straight into story time. Just wanted to quickly cover some of the lighter things that perhaps we miss from the old days you know like as a millennial i do notice this as i as much as i hate admitting that i'm getting older one of the character traits of i think millennials is just moaning about things that used to be better in the old days which makes me feel like a real granddad (laughs) (laughs) but it is what it is and so i made a list of a few of the things that i miss from back in the day quote unquote uh first one i have is actually msn i don't know bro i don't know if you got into msn when it was out yeah i did <laughs> uh i mean if you think about it how cool was it right you could have this kind of personalized space it was like a gateway drug into coding which i was not intelligent enough to get into but i appreciated that other people did <laughs> where you could do like some web coding and create cool designs on your on your own page and um, yeah, I always remember like that your top friends. <laughs> yes. Ten How crazy is that? You could friends. rank your friends. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite part was having a theme, like a song for your page. So you'd put your mm. favorite song and then people would come to visit you and then they'd hear it straight away. Like, How cool is that? Wasn't, was that not MySpace? I thought that was MySpace. No, you're right. Yeah. MySpace. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the MSN messenger, MySpace, they, that was a like our kind of, early the early social network really the first of its kind wasn't it yeah but it was something uh, i definitely appreciate more than what social media is these days i think and kind of on that i think i do obviously take part in you know social media ring but uh, i kind of miss a time when i didn't have that you know as much as i like i would prefer to message people on social media or whatever I would hate to, I still, I still hate to call people and I used to still hate calling people back then too. Uh, But there is just something about not having to know what people are up to, which you didn't think you'd miss it until you can't anymore. It's like everyone has to tell us what they're doing. And I do try as much as possible not to tell everybody what I'm up to throughout the day. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about you. you're nothing quite, better than Instagrammer. Yeah, there's nothing better than uh, the adrenaline rush you get from that noise that the MSN made when your chat box would come up, like, oh, someone's message. Do, do, do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, do, do. And when they were typing, <laughs> yeah. I definitely remember that adrenaline rush. Like, ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to agree, though, that um, although, you know, we do spend a lot of time wasting um, on social media, I do. Mm wish that life was simpler like not having those things like so many things i could be doing rather than sitting around on social media (laughs) so yes yeah and i swore i'd never be one of those kind of scrollers 
yeah. on on social media, and I have become that. And I do I do worry about people's attention spans. They're getting shorter and shorter. I 100% can say that for myself. Like yeah. I could be watching TV and scrolling at mm. the same time and still know what's going on, you know, on the TV and what I'm reading. It's shocking, really. Yeah. The other thing I've written to here is no Netflix. And I'll be the first to say that I love a lot of things about Netflix. However, it does take away a real appreciation for what it was like to, you know, if you wanted to watch something later you had to record it and mm. i mean we didn't have a tv growing up but we're obviously aware of this and going to the video store and choosing your movies for a friday night for a sleepover or whatever that i had some of my favorite memories were sleepovers watching movies yes. on the old vcr with my friends <laughs> yeah and would come and, would come away with like a stack of five movies and then just watch them all all weekend and then debating whether you were gonna spend the ten dollars on the new release which is an only an overnight one oh, yeah. or whether you or, or whether you'd go for the the whatever it was seven dollars for a whole week of one that wasn't yeah a new release. <laughs> never wanted them the not you know always had to be new releases of course of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah i but in terms of other things that that i miss they're probably more maybe a little bit more specific to us but growing up in new zealand and country new zealand we just had so much freedom and so much space to explore right and one thing I, I know from growing up in the 80s and 90s is that there were a lot less safety nets, <laughs> literal sure. and figurative safety nets, uh, <laughs> which, sure, we did get injured. <laughs> it wasn't safe, but there was something really special about that, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we didn't go out uh, worried. I mean, I did. Perhaps I was a bit of a sensitive child. <laughs> but generally, if you wanted to do something you just kind of did it and you didn't have people looking over your shoulder all the time freaking out about how much danger you were in mm. yeah like being out late on the street riding bikes and just going off for walks for hours on end uh, and for us specifically being on the farm for hours and hours I would go off on my own and no one would ever check in because you know I didn't have a phone so you know <laughs> anything could have happened but I, I remember normal. going like when I was running away from home, but it's a bit hard when you live rurally. <laughs> I, I got on my horse and went off on the farm. And I remember it was dark when I came back, but nobody cared that I wasn't there. They yeah. just were like, oh, well, she'll come back when she's hungry. <laughs> yeah, well, because I guess you, you can't even really understand like projecting back. It's hard not to project because now because we have the ability to stay in contact with people anytime anywhere we can't imagine not being able to contact someone but it was just so normal we would just basically for all intent and purpose just be invisible if we weren't within you know shouting distance if, <laughs> if that makes sense and and that was just completely normal and that was great and i do miss that i love being able to contact people now it's great but but how did we survive without it like it's so hard to imagine <laughs> Yeah, but we did okay. We did okay. You just get better at face-to-face -face communication. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're like extreme introvert like I was for a while, you just avoid it altogether <laughs> and you just stay by yourself. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the only other, the last thing I was going to mention was just kind of simple games that we used to play as kids. Like no screen time, obviously, because there were no smartphones, no iPads, no no computers in our house. And it was just... You make you play you play whatever you can have and you you create in your imagination really was just the classic games like hide and seek or spotlight which is hide and seek in the dark and mm. uh, marbles or yes or board games you know people all your friends coming over and playing board games into the late hours and just very basic things we didn't need technology to just simple fun wasn't it. It Good old-fashioned, wholesome fun. Yeah, yeah. We didn't need technology to dictate what we would do with our free time because we had enough creativity to figure it out for ourselves. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I do miss that. Yes. But you know, having said that, we can't get those things back. Maybe some of them, <laughs> but it's pretty hard to function without, you know, what we have now. But mm. sometimes I think it's good to just appreciate some of those simpler things. Anyway. I 
feel like back to where we left off (laughs) (laughs) i enter the subject with fear and trepidation (laughs) so where i left off i just was talking about how things with my partner had gotten quite intense yeah so we were we just joined this big kind of aspirational church we were getting involved i was getting really really involved in music and volunteering and it was taking up a lot of my time but really it was that it was a big passion project for me that really was uh i think in hindsight i was trying to just distract my stuff myself from what was going on at home and i didn't mind being out of the home six nights a week because it just kept me busy <laughs> so i shared a story at the end of the last episode about how my partner had confiscated my credit card for using it to take a taxi home. It was like a $20 fare and she cut it up in front of me and then threw it away. Uh, That story, as intense as it might sound on its own, was just one particular event of a number of different things that kind of really increased in intensity of her trying to kind of exercise control over our relationship and just over our lives i guess she was always the um the one who handled the finances not not necessarily like we there was no discussion it was like okay you'll do this and you'll do this it was just she she was needed that control yeah but she was she was good at it she was good at numbers but she had a very stingy streak in her she did she hated spending money on what she deigned to be waste wasted uh, wasted spending and so that just meant not really going out to do fun activities very often it was we we do not spend on frivolous things we don't go on holidays uh we did go on a few holidays but it was like months and months of saving up and and preparing this is actually in terms of the purpose of this podcast right is looking back at who we are today you know what what caused that and i think now i Whilst I think savings important, I also have a real appreciation for having spare cash to have fun. Enjoy life. <laughs> and enjoy life. And that is a really big priority for me now. And that, and that's basically why, where that came from. Uh, anyway, I don't, I mean, I don't want to get too much into too many depressing stories, but over these couple of years, probably 20 12 to 2014 after coming back to melbourne things just got they were just really intense all the time and i felt like i could never like never relax there was just drama at every corner and it would come when i least expected it and i think on reflection she i know that she was really insecure uh but she wouldn't accept that as a reason for the way that she was reacting to me. So, for example, she would compare the way our relationship was to other people who seemed happy all the time. And she would say things like, you know, th- those see the way that he treats her. So, it was so put and so back tr- on you. Why, why don't you do this? Why aren't why don't you get me gifts? Why don't you write me letters anymore? Uh, it was it was constantly I wasn't matching up to what her expectations were of me and to be fair and take, I, not being accountable for her own actions in the relationship yeah but i mean i am willing to admit that i could have done better because everyone always can do better but obviously yeah, but it's not as but it's not as simple as that and no. in order you know that wouldn't have that would not have solved the issues no, I mean, they were much, much deeper than that. And if I did do those things, I would have felt um, inauthentic. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I'd, and there was that same thing I mentioned a few episodes ago about how she had this thing about not going to sleep angry, right? So even until this time, we were just late into the night, just going over and over and over again. And often it would just be me sitting in silence because I just like literally had nothing to say because everything I would say would just lead to further arguments or disagreement on on her part. And and that would frustrate her even more because I wouldn't be able to express what I was actually wanting to say. It was just 
I would just freeze, like completely shut down. And there was this stage of my life where I just became really scared of confrontation because I had my brain would just stop working completely. And that was really hard because I lost, lost all sense of confidence in who I was as a person. And I don't I've heard since then, like in recent times that people had noticed this. But um, I wasn't aware that it was happening. I am now obviously looking back, but I wasn't aware that I was really losing a sense of who I was. But I just remember in those couple of years, things started to get physical in terms of how she would. Like, I mean, I, I mentioned right at the beginning how she would have these kind of uncontrollable rages. Uh, there's like all this kind of emotion that she just couldn't keep in and had to get out and she would often put that on herself like she would physically like hurt herself because she didn't know how to control it so she'd be like whacking her head and like whacking beating her chest and whacking things around her that was the early days but then fast forward a few years she would still do that at times but then it would start coming on to me so I i mean i do remember very clearly one time, you know, after lying in bed for hours, going over some very minor point that she believed I wasn't getting and like I wasn't respecting her enough on this particular point or whatever. I don't know. Some of these things were just so cinderfeet that they've just flown out of my mind. But I, I just fell asleep. It got really late at night and I, I could not stay awake any longer. <laughs> that would have angered her further. Oh, and I, and I felt I fell asleep. I just... I just drifted off and I was woken up to like a really hard punch. Like she just hit me. Um, and then it started off again because I, how dare I fall asleep in the middle of an argument? <laughs> <laughs> I, and it was just like, it was such a self defeating cycle and just never got anywhere. And because she was so convinced that I didn't love her, and so convinced that I didn't care about even trying to love her, she would do anything to get my attention and to like try and wake me up to how bad it was. And so this led to frequent threats to self-harm, frequent threats to take her own life. Uh there was there are a, a number of times where she would be screaming at me, why why don't you love me? Uh, you know, why don't you care? What will it take for you to love me? What will it take for you to care for me? And her running into the kitchen, grabbing knives and holding them to her wrists and saying, do you want me to cut cut me or do you want me to hurt myself? Will that make you love me? Will you know? Will that make you pay attention to me? Is this what you want? And Gosh, like, it's so exhausting it's, um, emotionally. I mean, what to do you around someone say like that? to that? Obviously, you've got to talk them off the ledge, but then how do you move respond? Forward from like the mm. fallout from that, because then it it obviously it doesn't bring you closer together. It does in the moment because you're like, I've got to prevent this. I've got to make sure this is a safe environment for mm. both of us. Uh, and then there'll be some kind of short period of reconciliation, but then inside like it's it's not real did you feel the need to overcompensate that love sort of post those um moments Uh, to i mean it would be making promises that i knew i couldn't keep Mm. in order to talk her off the ledge uh i think i've i understand this much more clearly now but there was no genuine love on my part there was i because i'd never known what love was um i didn't know what the proper way what the proper thing was to do i just did what i thought was necessary which was to give in as much as possible and i mean so unhealthy right and Mm. i mean how do you maintain a relationship like that and whilst that that kind of stuff is generally in the home we had flatsmates they were definitely aware of stuff going on um, and I could see the discomfort they didn't necessarily see those really really extreme things but many many other kind of small microaggressions they saw many many times and I could 
see the awkwardness in this and I in on their faces and I was very aware of what they were thinking but I never talked about it with them because number one too awkward number two mm. I didn't want them to f- uh, think that I was being disrespectful to her because mm. you know husbands must respect their wives but also <laughs> your your view would have been so warped anyway like you wouldn't have known what way was up at that point still like don't know what a good relationship is right because it's Mm. still my first relationship uh i think it was about this stage because this is like maybe a couple of years well maybe about a year or so before things actually finally came to an end but i started to imagine what life might be like not on my own but with somebody else so i would see other relationships and see how happy they were but i didn't it, I don't know. I was starting. It. Yeah, exactly. And I was waking up to like, maybe this is not okay. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just mad because at this point we would have been together eight or nine years or eight years maybe. And to be putting up with this constant walking around in eggshells, how I could ever assume that that was just normal, like is be beyond comprehension now. Mm. Uh, anyway. Church life was, despite all this stuff on the in the background, was going really well. But I was just consumed by it so much so that I was looking for belonging so much so that it just took over my life completely. Uh, it, it saturated my life until I had no friends outside of church. It was my whole life, but that was okay for me. I was okay with that because. I would never call it indoctrination because, I mean, people who haven't been in church always consider people in church to be indoctrinated. I would not have considered that because it was just a slow boil for me. I wasn't jumping out of that hot pool. And it was probably the security and connection you were craving, you know, which you weren't getting uh, elsewhere. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there is a I think I may have mentioned this in the last one, but. There's a lot of unhealthy stuff going on in my church life uh, in the background, which I didn't notice until later on. Uh, But I was kind of blind to it at the stage. And I still I really needed that purpose and a place to be that I needed a family and I I needed uh, something to be passionate about. That meant I wasn't at home. My partner was also into music. And so we were part of the music team together, which. To be honest, even at the time, I wanted it to just be my thing. Uh, she, there was several points where there would be drama involving her and people within the music team because she had a very specific way of wanting things to be done. And she had she had no qualms about expressing her views. Uh, so there was definitely some awkwardness there. And that kind of ruined the music thing for, for me. You. Mm. Yeah, because it. I had to be the middleman and yeah. I was expected, she expected me to take her side. And in so many times I was like, I just, I cannot like, I mean, I never said this, but I just could not. Mm. <laughs> Some of the things were just really embarrassing, really embarrassing. Anyway, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit, but there was a, there was a moment where the church announced or the leaders at the church announced that they would be, opening up a new campus in Thailand. And I don't, I mean, this was very left field for this church. Like there was a, it was a big deal and it was a very exciting thing uh, at this stage for the church or the church family, you know, and the church was in a stage of, uh, of, of growth. And I don't know what was going on in the background that led them to think that Bangkok would be a good place to go, but, (laughs) it's really strange uh it's hard to describe now but i very remember i remember very clearly being in the service when this announcement was made and straight away when they said it i just felt something in my chest like a my heart beat really fast i felt like i was just kind of transported somewhere else and i honestly felt like something was speaking to me and telling me that's for you 
and it's really really strange to talk about this because i'm probably what i would consider agnostic now i don't attend church i don't really think about christianity i don't really necessarily consider myself um i I definitely wouldn't consider myself religious anymore i don't attend church or anything like that but this moment felt so authentic even in my memory looking back i can 100 percent say that it felt so real so what do you think that was now do you think that was um you know, you going, this could be my chance to uh, to get out of, you know. Maybe later on I I would say that. But in that particular moment, I just can all I all I can call it is a calling. And that this this is the these are the words that we use in church, right? Mm-hmm. I just felt called and and the word was this is for you. Go. Obviously, when it comes to like getting a feeling and interpreting it in words, that 100% can be put down to science. But the feeling itself is very real. Mm. And I just knew that I really, really wanted to go to Thailand. I'd never, never considered going to Asia ever before. In fact, I was always interested in Europe, right? Mm. So this was very strange for me. I kept it to myself for a while and I was afraid to bring it up to my partner i didn't want to suggest it to her and partly i just wanted to see if she would end up feeling the same thing when she heard about it she wasn't with me at the time she hadn't attended that service or whatever but uh when they announced it i don't think she had the same feeling straight away but i remember that we had a conversation about it later on and i remember her saying oh so what do you think about this thailand thing like how did you feel about that like how about you tell me what you think first (laughs) and and because i just wanted to see if she put your feelers out yeah yeah and she shared that she thought maybe or maybe you know this could be something that we might be able to be involved in and it's crazy that she was open to that idea yes yeah and that and this is why at the time it felt like what we would call such a god thing yeah and you can understand with all the other shit that's been going on in the background to be on the same page about something is that's a pretty big deal <laughs> yeah and that's when i kind of shared the fact that i'd had this moment and i felt that we i used the we collective we had been called to go i think it felt very it was actually a very personal thing and i didn't necessarily think of it as a thing that her and i should do together but obviously, when you're married, you you do everything together. So whatever. And that kind of set a, a, a process in motion about where we were just making plans to see if it was actually feasible. And uh, I think it was over a, around about six months, maybe three to four months of deciding and then looking at the logistics of it and then meeting with people, at the leaders, leadership at the church about whether we could be actually involved with the team going over. And then other random details. It was like a process of about six months, I think, in total of from the very first moment to, okay, this is actually happening before we would actually announce it. Uh, So, yeah, that was a big deal. It was a really big deal to kind of pack up everything and get over to to this country, which I I knew nothing about. I'd been to Thailand once before and a stopover when I went to India. Uh, a few years before uh but i don't know i was this brings up the whole adventure thing again right because i'd always Mm. always wanted to see the world but see it through an adventurer's lens i as much as i loved europe and i loved um the history and just the diversity it didn't feel quite adventurous enough for me i think and i was starting to get really tired of the predictability of western society starting to get a little bit disillusioned maybe and i just kind of wanted to get away from it uh i didn't really know all of this at the time but you know this is looking back anyway so my partner she ended up being able to find a teaching job which she interviewed for from melbourne for an international school in bangkok and then few things came together and I ended up getting a position uh, with a charity 
based in um, based in in Bangkok. It was a volunteer position, but based in Bangkok, and they were based up in the in the north. So there would, it would involve a little bit of travel there as well. So will all of these things, all these pieces coming together, together it was wow. God is really involved in this. He's mm. authentically called us to go to Thailand and be a part of this new thing that God is doing in Bangkok, be a part of this spreading our kind of our, our church values and helping save the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I never saw myself as an evangelist and I, and I still don't think I wanted to be an evangelist, but I still wanted to be a part of that movement, that growth, that, expanding of the, the church bubble <laughs> and it's just exciting right being called so to speak 100%. to go to another country it's like oh for the first time in years i feel excited about something mm. yeah and and that's when i talk about church now the only thing i i miss about church life is being a part of something bigger than myself and at this particular moment there could not have been a bigger event to be a part of and everybody well i'll be honest I enjoyed the attention because now we were pioneers. Everybody knew who we were. Everybody was congratulating us, proud of us, sending us constant messages of affirmation and support. And, you know, people would pray for us. Even up in front of the church, we, we would be recognized and acknowledged. That's um, quite intoxicating mm. for me as a person I've mentioned this before, I needed validation. I I would hesitate to say I needed to be noticed, but I wanted people to appreciate me because I mm. always worked hard. And as much as I'd sold myself out for this church life, I always felt like I was, because I was perhaps not as confident and put I didn't put myself out there as much as others. I was always someone that would got kind of pushed to the background. Mm. Uh, and so to be in the kind of center of it, in the limelight, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is for, for once I, you weren't just a, a worker bee, you know, there's yeah, hundreds of those, you yeah. know, center of, you know, the attention. Yeah. I wasn't just like anybody else. I was like, mm. wow, this is, yeah, I'm the special one now. People are really appreciating me. Mm. And at the time, of course, I would say, oh, it's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about <laughs> growing the while, kingdom. <laughs> while reveling in the limelight. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that, the, that's human nature, though, isn't it? You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. What was an interesting part of this whole process before we left, though, was that we had to have meetings with leadership to confirm whether they would be happy with us to go. And we did have questions from like one of the pastors who I mentioned in the last episode had met with us, right, about relationship troubles. Uh, and so he he met with us and was like, are you sure that you're OK? Like, is this going to be... Are you guys going to be okay going over together? At least he checked. Yeah. yeah. But I said yes, because what else would I say? Of course, yeah. (laughs) I'm committed. Like, there's no way. Even though I 100% knew that we were not okay. Mm. I will say that very clearly. This was all, was it all about me? Part of it was about me. I don't know. It's It's hard to gauge whether it was about a calling or about getting and probably away. just something else to focus on too you know put your energy yeah. into yeah i know i wanted to get out i know i wanted to escape and this was the perfect opportunity to have some adventure with mm. a purpose behind it and i know this now but with I her convinced... actually agreeing to it for once <laughs> it, exactly yeah we i think well i knew we weren't okay and i think she knew we weren't okay as well but we were in too deep at this stage and we were just like we're going and obviously God is behind this, so we'll fix it out. We'll fix it up. We'll figure it out once we get there, and things will be okay. Uh, so we got to – just going to kind of breeze through a couple of details. Um, we got to Thailand in the – around about July, I think it was, June, July 2014. And I mean, Thailand is – like, I love – I love, love Thailand. And it was, I don't know, it was just like I finally felt like I just hit my place. It was like I was a a new person and 
I reveled in every moment, the sights, the sounds, the smells, as terrible, terrible as they are, even mm-hmm. the stuff that many people find uncomfortable, like the heat and the spiciness of the food or just the inability to communicate with the locals. I loved it all. And my partner, if you've been paying attention to any of the previous episodes, <laughs> you would know that she did not would not have found it as very overwhelming um overstimulating yep well we she we were at the school right christian school we were living on site for a little while uh and she pretty much went from what from the church bubble into the school bubble and like this is like full-on christian and a bit of kind of old school christian environment and i didn't really like it all that much it was just a little bit too constrained for me too traditional and too safe and i spent as much time as i could getting out and exploring and i was doing this um this work for this charity uh, which i really enjoyed it got, gave me a few opportunities to travel up to the north of thailand which was really cool but due to the nature of the position it was a new role and they you know obviously couldn't pay me and there was no real understanding at that time of what what this role should be or could be and so I just kind of ran out of work to do. And I also just, we just ran out, ran out of money. <laughs> mm. I, and I was forced to, to find a, a teaching job, which is terribly ironic because I'd spent all these years <laughs> avoiding it, <laughs> trying to escape the shadow cast by my, my teaching degree. And here I was being forced back into it. But this is where um, the kind of story really kind of got a bit more interesting for me because I got into this teaching job. It was uh, like an ESL, English as a Second Language, language school. It was so much fun teaching kids. I, I absolutely talked to it like a duck to water. It was, it was crazy how much I loved teaching, considering how long I thought I'd you know, hate it. <laughs> but I got into it, and I was having a great time. But I was also re- exposed to a lot of different people that were a million miles away from my Christian buddies. And I found that incredibly refreshing just mm. to be around, quote unquote, normal, normal yeah. people <laughs> <laughs> who didn't obsess about church services and prayer meetings and youth meetings and all this kind of stuff. It was just so good to just be me. And I really did feel like I was becoming a different version of myself, but not a fake version. Uh, Genuine. Yeah, like a genuine version of who I thought I was supposed to be, like just having fun and having laughs and going out and drinking. Not, I wasn't really getting drunk or anything at this stage, but just going out and having a good time. Mm. Uh, although things with my partner were, by this stage, we were off, off site, off campus from the school. and Things were getting really challenging. She hated that I would be out with friends late at night. Obviously, I was hadn't had this these opportunities because I didn't have many close friends back in Melbourne. And so to have these people who were taking me out drinking and were having lots of fun and then coming back late, you know, that she struggled with that. Mm. And I pro- I honestly I probably could have handled that better, but I just I didn't care. I just wanted to <laughs> live yeah. my life. And I guess I was starting to discover some uh, independence, which um, I guess is only natural to discover independence but i guess when when you're in a committed relationship you need to negotiate that carefully because it's i think it's mm-hmm. great to have independence but you've got to be able to respect the other party in a For relationship sure. right and yeah. i i definitely could have done that better but it was just all the history had just built up mm. and um i was just kind of learning to become myself again did you and, find you were getting maybe um more confident too in yourself so, uh, yes, yep. you know, you're having fun, you're sort of finding, sounds really cliche, but finding yourself. Uh-huh. And um, finding myself in, in Thailand, which is also cliche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I was also, because I was coming more confident, I was sticking up for myself more. Mm. And that just was leading to further conflict that was becoming difficult to manage and it was about this stage kind of late 2014 that we actually started sleeping in separate beds because we just couldn't be in each other's company i don't think it was my decision it was was hers but she just 
had so convinced herself that I didn't love her anymore, which is obviously true. But um, Was that, that a bit of a relief, she, though, that she decided that? So you're like, oh, finally some space. Yeah, but I could tell that she was hoping that I would come to my senses. Mm. It was all me. It was all my fault. Of course. Yeah. Um, and I think this is probably the best point to, to pause. I mean, obviously, I've been dominating this <laughs> particular conversation. Uh, but why don't we just switch it back to you? I know you don't necessarily have as much to share for these mm. intervening years, but just to kind of, because we're about to meet up again in the story. So I'll give you a chance yeah. to catch up before that. So I guess while you were just sort of heading down the path of independence and freedom and, and things were getting worse in your relationship, it was the complete opposite for me. Um, as I mentioned in the, the last episode, you know, I'd just gotten to a new relationship and I was really happy and felt uh, really at peace for the first time in a long time. Mm. Uh, this guy was just so grounding for me and it felt so good to be sort of in a good space. And uh, I was living in London at the time and he was in North Yorkshire and we were traveling back and forth to see each other for was about a year and a half, actually, or maybe even slightly more, which was quite hard. But he worked shifts, so he would come down sometimes um, like midweek and I'd be working. But he'd come along with me and um, we'd hang out with the kids together because I was nannying. And it was all just fun and exciting being in a new relationship and in a happy place. And um, we went on a few holidays together and. You know, all those fun things you do at the beginning of a, a new relationship. And, yeah, things are just really good getting to know each other and and um, just realising that I was so happy. So how did you, because, you know, you'd gone through this really traumatic stage, uh, you know, just a couple of years prior, did you feel like you were dealing with that stuff? Um, I guess... Because I was happy, I sort of, it kind of tricks you into thinking you have dealt with it mm. um, because it's not coming to the forefront of your mind all the time because um, you're in a happy place, right? But I think I probably had just pushed it to the side, really, um, and I hadn't really emotionally dealt with those things that I probably should have. Um, but they, you know, they had resurfaced a bit later and and um I think over the years I have been able to deal with those things but initially no I don't think I I had mm. and it was quite tricky telling mum and dad that you know that I was in a new relationship and of course they knew that I was still technically married um to my ex and that that didn't agree with them at all. And mm. um, eventually I decided I was done doing the long distance relationship and I wanted to move because it wasn't an option for him to come to London. Um, I'd done five years in London. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm ready to, to sort of move out of London for a bit of a quieter lifestyle. And um, I decided to move up to North Yorkshire to live with him. Um, and which is it? Which is a big decision in itself. Yeah, sacrificing huge. everything. Yep, like completely starting afresh with, you know, I didn't have any friends up there. Like the people I knew were ones that he'd introduced me to when I had gone up to visit, and um, we decided to to buy a house together, which is another like huge milestone in life. Was it? Hold on, you were you? I mean, some of the stuff is actually all completely new as well. So not mm. just big decisions but a lot of new decisions being the house you never owned a house before no and at this stage how long had you been together um so when I moved up there we'd been together a year and a half um mm -hmm. and we bought the place just like when I moved up there we moved into the new house together and was, it, was this like scary for you at all um actually no not at all <laughs> it was the most like at peace I had ever felt and mm. it felt right and it was the most easy transition like for for most people you know moving in with someone new especially when you've been doing long distance relationship 
Um, mm. You know, you feel like you don't really know the person and you find out things that you're like, oh, you know, irritating. And um, But it wasn't like that at all. It was, oh, it was such a cool feeling to be in the same space, yeah. um, doing things together and not having to worry about, oh, I've got to catch the train early tomorrow to go back to London. And oh, it was just so such a cool time and and, and setting up the very, house. Um, very refreshing, but very yeah. unusual to have such an easy experience so obviously yes. you, and like I know for myself whenever I think that things are easy I'm kind of expecting something really shit mm. to happen yeah <laughs> like just around the corner did you ever have that feeling no never and he never gave me that feeling and this is why I knew it was it was right because of how it again mm. it sounds so cliche but deep down like how does this person make you feel and Never once did I question my decision to be with this person mm. or um or to move in together and um yeah it was a, a, such a good time although apart from like mum and dad weren't very happy that I had decided to move in with this person he um completely um non-religious wasn't into or never has been never will be into that kind of thing so that bothered mum and dad quite a bit and mum had a conversation with me saying um I don't want you to move in with him until you're officially divorced because in her mind it was a a box that needed to be ticked you know you're divorced Mm. and then it's okay and I said to her mum look it's happening (laughs) I'm moving in with him um and eventually I, I did get divorced legally but um, how, how, long, how long did it take for you to get to get that done? Uh, quite a while because my ex was sorting it. He was living in Australia and I was there and it comes down to money and, you know, you have to actually physically go to court um, to renounce it or whatever and sign some paperwork. So it, it did take some time, but I wasn't going to let that stop me from moving in with, you know, this guy who I love mm. deeply. So um, And obviously you, mm, I imagine you didn't really have any feelings about the divorce at that by that time no no I just wanted to get it over and done with just so I could close that chapter really mm. so yeah no no feelings mm-hmm. but yeah that sort of took us up to about well where we sort of came back together again which was 2014 was it mm. yeah so, so I mean you you were just like entering this stage of stability and I was about to kind of enter this time of quote unquote chaos. <laughs> but uh, at that point of time, we kind of intersected once again, because in the background, we had this kind of family stuff going on. Um, we had some, well, mum had told us that she had some concerns about dad's health. And this had been going on for a little while. And there were things that we were learning about him that were at first very unexpected, a real surprise. Mm. And that was really tough, I think. It was quite upsetting to mm. hear. I mean, I didn't know how to react myself because I, when it came to my parents, I wasn't super emotionally engaged. But it was still like, well, shit, you know, things, you know, it's just shit's just got real. Mm. And it was around about this time that uh, I had decided – well, I think mum and dad had decided to go and visit you and they wanted to have it as a surprise. I don't, I can't remember who organised the surprise, but... Mm. Uh, I'm pretty well, sure who, you contacted my partner at the time and mm. said, you know, we're planning on coming over. So yeah, I had we no wanted idea. A surprise, a surprise trip. Yeah. So it was going to be our parents and myself and my partner linking up and then arriving at your house in Yorkshire to surprise you at Christmas wasn't it for Christmas yeah uh and that was a really exciting idea and it was really cool and no one in the family was aware of all the drama that was going on between my partner and I so that it was just another distraction for me I Mm. I felt I was a little bit worried about how this whole trip thing would go with all this shit in the background but I was like you know what We'll make it work because <laughs> mm. I'm not going to sacrifice this trip. Mm. And I don't remember many of the specifics of the leading up to the organizing and everything like that. But this is probably the first time actually I had direct contact with your partner, actually, 
at this point because we hadn't yeah. really spoken. Mm. Uh, so that, I, you know, that was a positive experience, <laughs> mm. all in all. Anyway, we go on this trip. Um, we arrive and the surprise goes like clockwork. Like we meet up with parents, we travel up together in the train and then we show up and then we meet up with you and your partner in Yorkshire and quite an emotional moment for you, even though mm. you had some idea that it was going to happen, right? Mm. Well, I think at the time I remember thinking I had worked out that maybe you and your partner were coming, but I had no idea that mum and dad mm. were going to be there. So yeah. I thought I'd worked out the surprise, but I hadn't. <laughs> yeah. So it was a bit overwhelming and to be like, oh, everyone's here. <laughs> yeah. And it was such a, so this trip, it was such a, a lot of stuff happened on this particular trip. Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we have the time to go into it actually yeah. <laughs> in this episode, but I guess maybe we'll, I'll, I'll stop it there and, and we'll pick up straight away at this point because um, this was, I won't say the beginning of the end, it was the end of the end Yeah. in a lot of ways, uh, but there's a lot to unpack about what happened because it did have long-lasting effects on me and the family as well. Um, so we'll talk about that in more detail in the in the next episode, which hopefully I've said this before, but maybe the last one. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I just we'll can't, predict, how that goes. can't predict it. <laughs> uh, There's yeah. always more than you think there is to, yeah. to unpack. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, everyone, if this is getting too dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I'm trying to keep it relatively emotionless and just stick to the facts uh, but the facts as they are were kind of they're kind of tough to mm. process and it's just tough for me to process too and I'm feeling much better about it now but I will admit that there have been a few weeks after talking about this stuff that it's been like it's been hovering around in the background for me and having to dig it all up again has been triggering <laughs> yes yes uh, <laughs> to say the least but we'll see how we go <laughs> for the for the the final chapter. But thanks again for uh, joining us, and um, we will catch you again very soon. Thanks everyone. Kakiteano. Bye.